0: up to Exodus chapter 5. It's been a joy to go through this book, and we're, we've got, I don't know, maybe 30 more sermons that we're going to get. Um, so we'll, we will see this 2020 all the way through, all right? And it will be an exodus of sorts. So um, if you haven't turned there yet, uh, turn to Exodus chapter 5. We're going to consider the whole chapter, but I'm going to just read, and the words will be on the screen for us. I'm going to read 1 through 8. And then I'm going to read 19 through 21, or 1 through 9, and then 19 through 21. So we'll get the beginning and the end here in our reading right now. Exodus chapter 5. Let's hear God's word. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, so that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day the Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters and the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore the cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. The four men of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce the number of bricks your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them, and they came out to Pharaoh and they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that we can come to it, and and we can set our lives under it. God, I pray that you would be with the preaching and the hearing and the receiving of this your word, to your glory and to the good of your people, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. It was Father's Day four years ago when I witnessed the greatest sporting event in all of history. I know, that's a pretty bold claim to make in New England, but this Clevelander is going to make it. On Father's Day 2016, the Cleveland Cavaliers completed the greatest Comeback in NBA Finals history, overcoming a 3-1 series uh, lead that the Golden State Warriors had. And in that Game 7, it was mythical. It was amazing. We had the greatest block in NBA history. We had the biggest shot in NBA Finals history. And we had Kevin Love, of all people, locking up Steph Curry. The last three minutes and 39 seconds of that game, were the most intense sporting experiences I have ever watched. And I was relegated to watching it in the spare room because I was too tense. And when the Cavaliers were crying tears of joy and exhaustion, I was too. They were in Oakland and I was in my spare bedroom sobbing like a baby as we watched them win. And what was very fascinating about that series was that it did not go as everyone, and I mean everyone outside of the Cleveland fan base, thought it would go. You see, the Warriors, they had just won the NBA Finals over that very same team the year before, and then went on to win 73 games, setting an NBA record, most wins ever in a single season. Everyone knew that the Warriors were just going to roll through. And for the most part, they did until those last three glorious games. Sometimes things do not go as expected, sometimes life does not go as expected. I don't think. Any one of us expected 2020 to go the way that it has. I don't think any of us anticipated having to know all about lockdowns and social distancing and flattening the curve and respiratory droplets. I didn't think about respiratory droplets before this year, but here we are thinking about respiratory droplets. I don't think any of us would have expected that when we left this building on Sunday, March 8th, we would not be back here until June 21st, or for those watching, maybe sometime later. I don't think any one of us would have expected that we would experience a seismic reckoning over our nation's broken past, a brokenness that has perpetuated racial prejudices and racist ideologies to our very day. I don't think most of us, well, no, actually, I do think most of us have seen enough tea leaves over the last 10 years to know that public discourse was only going to get worse. But maybe many of us didn't expect to see such soul-crushing vitriol. Many of us right now don't know what to expect. We don't know what the summer or the fall will hold in light of COVID-19. We don't know what to expect with all the noise of political fervor drowning out the pleas for help and change. We don't know what to expect next. No matter our expectations, no matter how pure and genuine they may be, there is one superseding, interceding, Proceeding reality in the midst of them all. And that is this. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. When things don't go as expected, God is sovereign. When things go better than hoped, God is sovereign. When suffering intensifies, God is sovereign. When joy is multiplied, God is sovereign. Exodus chapter 5. A disaster of a chapter. Is a chapter filled with one singular chief hope. God is sovereign. Sovereign in all situations of life. God is sovereign. And what that means for us, what that means for us is because God is sovereign over all the situations of life, we can trust Him in the midst of all the situations of life. No matter if they're hard, harsh, or filled with joy and comfort, We can trust God in all situations. This morning. I want us to wrestle with that in two ways. Think it through as we consider this chapter. God is sovereign over our reality. Whatever that reality might be, God is sovereign over it. That we then think deeply upon that, rest in that, trust in that, That even if our realities right now are very hard, are harsh, are filled with with, with just brokenness, God's still sovereign over those realities. So, we're going to consider that. God is sovereign over our reality, and as we consider that, I want it to be this, fuel for our resolve. That we would have a resolve in all of the situations of life, because God is Is sovereign. Let's dive in. God is sovereign over our reality. And guess what our reality is? He is sovereign over our failures. He is sovereign over our failures. All right. Here's the truth of it. Moses and Aaron, they failed. here in chapter 5. They they didn't approach Pharaoh in the way that God told them to. They didn't necessarily say what God told them to say. It messed up, and it cost them and the people dearly. But that's not where they thought this was going to go. Look at the end of Exodus chapter 4. Words will be on the screen. The last three verses. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs inside of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. I mean, they were ready to go. I mean, we know in in the last couple of weeks, for those who were following along online, you know that that Moses was very apprehensive to go. He didn't want to go. And so finally, finally through God's sovereign and providential ways, here he is now arriving in Egypt and he's immediately affirmed. The people see and hear and they believe and they worship. Can you imagine that apprehensive Moses feeling like he's got a little extra in his step now? All right, this is this is all right, let's go. Let's go on up in the Pharaoh. You know, you just got that like strut going on up. It did not go as expected. Chapter 5 goes disastrously awry for Moses and Aaron, their leadership for the people of God. And as we can see, you can look back into chapter 3. You can see that Moses and Aaron didn't quite say what God had said to say. And Pharaoh (laughs) Pharaoh wasn't about to let them go and responded to their triumphal arrival and announcement. Pharaoh responded ready for a fight. We saw, and as we read through this, Moses and Aaron quickly backtracked, said things that God didn't say, pestilence and sword, seeking to ease the ready-to-fight Pharaoh. But what did that do? The suffering intensified. Pharaoh, like a lion, sensed weakness and hurt, and he pounced. God was sovereign over all of that. He's sovereign over when we fail, too. We fail. That's our reality. I mean, this is Exodus 5. We know that. We know that there are 35 more chapters. We know the story. We know that their failure doesn't upend the whole Exodus story. So get this. This is good news for us. If you write any sentence down, write this one down. God's sovereignty isn't conditional to our faithfulness. His overall everything, His work accomplishing good in all things isn't conditional about us measuring up to Him. He's sovereign, period. This is good news. If it weren't so, we would have no hope. I'll be the first one in this room to admit it. I fail. If He wasn't sovereign over my failure, I would have no hope. We have flubs, Follies and foibles. Many times over. We say sinful things to people we love. We live inconsistent lives before people who don't know God and have no hope. We would rather invest in a new show than in the relationships around us. We are selfish with our time. And yet... We can't flub, folly, or foible our way out of God's sovereignty. And thank God for that. Now, this is what I just said. I've got to be careful here. What I just said is encouragement for you who mess up. So if you're one who messes up, I hope that this is encouragement for you. This isn't a green light to go out and make a mess of your life. No, no. See, there is a better way. And, and God, in his sovereignty, has a way of using our flubs, our follies, and our foil, foibles to help us see and go that way. Now, he is over. It's, our reality is a reality of failure. How's that a pep talk? woo Let's go! <laughs> He's sovereign over our reality over our failure, but he's also sovereign over our enemies. That's the second thing I want us to see in just our reality, is that it's over our failure and it's over our enemies. So Pharaoh is the enemy here. There's no question about it here in our, our entire book, and Pharaoh is the enemy. And last week, we addressed the challenging passage in Exodus 4, and we will see it again and again and again through the Exodus account. That God went about hardening Pharaoh's heart. That Pharaoh had an unrelenting hardened heart. And God made sure that he wasn't going to get off of that hard heart. God had a purpose in all of this. And, And just to recap real quickly from last week. Egypt believed that their gods, Ra and Horus, resided in the heart of Pharaoh. Their system believed that the gods were incarnated in the Pharaoh. And that Pharaoh's heart ruled over all things. All things. And that the Exodus story is a story really about Yahweh versus Egypt. About Yahweh versus false gods. And that Yahweh was going to show himself in abundance in dismantling and destroying the entire Egyptian belief system. So, if Pharaoh's heart is the heart that rules over all things well God's going to show his mastery over that. And so there God is knowing full well that Aaron Moses and Aaron's foible and folly and flub was only going to agitate Pharaoh's hard heart all the more and yet God was going to still show his sovereignty over the enemies. Now, Moses and Aaron really shouldn't be surprised by the sinister response of Pharaoh. Hard hearts do hard heart things. Shouldn't have been a shocker. I mean, God was pretty clear with them. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Should have been a trigger in their head. Ah, this is probably going to be pretty hard. This isn't going to be a walk in the park. This is actually going to be quite a conflict where Yahweh was going to show up over all of the Egyptian deities. Well, Pharaoh had a very sinister response to this. He turned the taskmasters, who were Egyptians, and the foremen, who were Hebrew traders, against the Hebrews that then turned and tried to pit Hebrews against Moses and Aaron. You see what he did? He made their life miserable in such a way to point all the blame back to Moses and Aaron. Hard hearts do hard, hard things. But, and truly, from the surface, it appears in this chapter that Pharaoh is in total control. Yet God is going to sustain His people through hard situations to accomplish His good purposes. God sustains His people through hard situations, to accomplish His good purposes. Sometimes from the surface of our lives, it doesn't feel that way. But God is over even our enemies. Take that one step further. Further, We know that Exodus in the book, uh, this book in the Bible, is in a, a bigger story A a grander story, an exodus that rescues, God will rescue and deliver his people from an even greater enemy, the bondage of sin and death and Satan. So we know that like if God is over his enemy here in Pharaoh, he is going to also show up in being over the enemies of sin, Satan and death. That's our greatest enemies, everyone. Our greatest enemy is not a a Republican or a Democrat, a liberal, a progressive, or a conservative. Our greatest enemy is sin. The sin that resides in our own heart. Our greatest enemy is death. Our greatest enemies are Satan. And God's showing up in the pages of Scripture. Complete mastery over the enemies. From the surface of our lives, it sometimes feels like sin, death, and Satan are winning. But God is sovereign over his enemies, and through the person and work of Jesus Christ, in what looks like defeat, brings the greatest victory over our greatest enemies. I love this passage. Consider Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. So Jesus is said to have taken on our flesh, took on our humanity to do something. And I love what Hebrews says He came to do. That through death, He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Tell me that, Hebrews writer, wasn't thinking about the Hebrew story of Exodus when the Spirit inspired him to write these words. How can you not think of Exodus reading that? Our series title through this book is called Delivered to Dwell. God delivers his people from the bondage of slavery so that they would dwell with him. I mean, if that doesn't wake you up in the morning, like check your pulse. He is over His enemies and uses the very plans of His enemies to show His victory. He uses death to bring death, death. That's that's overwhelming. Death is defeated in the death of Christ. God uses the plans of His enemies to accomplish His good purposes. That's your God! God! So your, your follies and your foibles, the, the things that seem so out of your control that you't like you have no way of like burning and shouldering. God is sovereign over all of it. And He doesn't leave you to your own strength. He doesn't leave you to your own power. He doesn't leave you to your own righteousness. He supplies it all for you in Christ. He is sovereign over our reality and brings redemption to it. Man, this is good news. Even in a disaster of a chapter, or if your life feels like one, this is good news. God's sovereign. My, my flubs can't beat His sovereignty. All right. Now, as we see that play out over Scripture culminating in Christ, that we see God's sovereign purposes prevail even over his enemies, I hope then what that does for us is that it fuels our resolve to live for him in the midst of all of the situations of life, good or hard. That we would have a resolve to live for him because we have a God who is sovereign. And our resolve is is fueled by, by one, it's... It's fueled by knowing God's character. That while we may flub our way through life, and while opposition to God and his people may seem fierce, at no point is God not sovereign over any of those things. And God doesn't change. Do you, do you know that? Like, God doesn't change, so, He doesn't stop being sovereign. He doesn't stop seeing his purposes prevail. He doesn't change, and he doesn't fail, and he never, ever, ever, ever flubs. He never flubs. He never has a folly or a foible. I just like saying that word. Anyway, he never does it. So I was thinking on this. This passage, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, came to mind. As I think about my own sin and struggles and weakness and how easily I could either be distracted or discouraged, how easy I could just feel like doubt raging in my own heart. Philippians 1, 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He will not let you sink under your own flubs. He will see you all the way through. He will bring you all the way to the end. You may be tattered and battered. You may be threadbare. But if that thread is Christ, you are fully clothed all the way to the very end. He will See you all the way through. Rest in that. Don't resist that. Don't resist that truth. Rest in it. Rest in who God is. And what He does. And then trust God's way. Know His character. And then trust His ways. At the heart of Moses and Aaron was a misunderstanding or misuse of what God actually said. And perhaps feeding that was a mistrust or a doubt. Maybe they felt like they had to soften the words, or maybe they had to, to, as they were backtracking, feel like they had to ease this Pharaoh. No. When we rest on God's character, that is, what do I mean by resting in God's character? When we see God's character and we compare it to our situations, we see God's character as bigger than our situations. As hard as our situations may be, that is not to minimize the challenges and difficulties in life that we face. It's just to emphasize that God's character, His worth, His being, His grace, His power are so much more. And that He will sustain you through those situations. That's what I mean by that. When we rest on God's character, then His word and His ways, they take on new life in our flubbing hearts. They take on new life. Once again, Philippians chapter 2. We have these very helpful words of how this takes root in our lives. How it can help us... Show us what trusting God's ways looks like. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasures. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. God is at work in you. So then work out what God is at work in you with. Live in light of what God has given you. Life. And as you do, as you live out the life that God has rescued you to, Paul gives us in Philippians some practical direction. Don't be a grumbler. Don't be a person who disputes. I mean, not grumbling and disputing is a word for today. Whether it's COVID or the other things that are going on in our culture, our society is dealing with, you just turn on your smartphone, your laptop, your computer, it's just the sounds of grumbling and disputing. What if God's people, in the midst of very important and serious things going on in our world, what if our, what if our role in this was actually to walk straight in a crooked, twisted generation? What if our role was to shine as lights in dark places? What if we didn't add to the grumbling and the disputing? What might God do through lives that are fueled with resolve to live for Him in the midst of all situations? Wouldn't that free us to love one another well? Wear our masks. Wouldn't that free us to love one another well? Listen to our black brothers and sisters? Wouldn't that free us to not worry about what our president or somebody wanting to be president says? What if we actually just lived out our lives intentionally in the lives of other people around us with a resolve knowing that, that God is sovereign and can work mightily through these situations? Wouldn't we become a disarming people? In the midst of an armed world. What if that happened? Man, sign me up for that. Because I, I, I want to have confidence to know that God is at work in you. And God is at work in the world. And as we rest in that, even in the midst of all of the various situations. When we rest in that that we would have a resolve to live for Him. A resolve. Perhaps resting in the sovereignty of God not only will fuel our resolve to live for Him, but also reshape our expectations. Maybe we'll have that steely Resolve to say, How might I live for your glory? Even if the challenges in my life in this world intensify, what might God do through that sort of heart? May that be so for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you. For your word. We thank you that you are sovereign over all our failures. God, we thank you you are sovereign over all of our enemies. That there isn't anything outside of your sovereignty and that your good purposes will prevail. God, I pray that you would then just do a mighty work in our hearts so that they would rest in you, not not Solely wanting to see changed circumstances and situations, but that would be rested in you and resolved to live for your glory in the midst of all the situations of our lives and our world. God, would you do that in us? I pray and I plead. Would you do it for your glory and for our good? Pray it in Christ's name. Amen.